Welcome to the BNP Rome Podcast, Season 2. Once again, this is your host, Brian, and as always, thanks for joining me. Welcome to episode 29, P is for Patiently Awaiting the Taurus Season episode. Yes folks, in typical Taurian fashion, this one took its time to come to fruition, but I can tell you, it's a doozy packed full of goodness. There's a lot of um, ground to cover, as Taurus, the fixed earth sign, wouldn't have it any other way. In the background, we've been listening to Torian Alex Van Halen pound the skins on Van Halen's Intruder into a bit of Pretty Woman, but today's musical guest, well, Taurus is all about abundance. So beyond Mr. Van Halen, we've got three Torian guests. Oh wait, maybe it's actually four. Well, it doesn't matter. I felt like, what better time of year to dig into some body-moving and grooving soul and funk than Taurus season? And who better to deliver than Torian's Stevie Wonder and James Brown? Mr. Wonder was born on May 13, 1950. And the Godfather of Soul shares his birthday, May 3rd, with my son Oliver. Though Mr. Brown came into this world in 1933, not 2005. We're going to get segments of music from both men, but as I was out and about cycling on a perfect mid-spring day this week, I couldn't help but put on music that epitomizes the breezy abundance of spring springing, and that's the good old Grateful Dead from their phenomenal May 1977 run. Fortunately, one of the members of the Dead, drummer Bill Kreutzmann, is a Torian, born May 7, 1946, so I could get away with sharing a song that really did shine in May 1977, their cover of the beautiful ballad, Peggio. But there's another reason I'm going to play Peggio, and that's because the lyrics are about money and what tragedies can fall upon us when those we care for don't think we have enough. In this episode, I'm going to chat about the north node of the moon being in Taurus and how that is inviting us to focus on our values and becoming self-sufficient, truly breaking any codependencies in our life. I'm also going to read an essay by Monica Harris on this topic titled the real reason why we're moving to a cashless society. And of course, to start things off after this intro, I'll go over the archetype of Taurus with some help from the Astrology Bible, my teacher Kaipacha, and Rick Levine. But that's not all folks, nope, we simply had to get our trucker Jacques back online to follow up with some burning questions, such as just how does this particular jock spell his name? And what are his predictions for the AI truck drivers when they hear the dead's dark star as they are out roaming the roads? It could spell the new civilization, folks. But no, we aren't ready to cash it in just yet. Nope, 
This podcast will go out with one more musical guest, another Torian, which will work as a transition into Gemini season, and also as a tribute to one of my favorite Torian friends. But I'm going to save what that is for those of you who make it all the way to the end. Okay, as you may have noticed, Mr. Brown has been working the band in the background, and well, I can't keep the funk down for too much longer. So let me hop away from the mic, and let's get this party started. Enjoy the show, everyone. Okay. For our overview of the Taurus archetype, again, I'll start by using the Astrology Bible by Judy Hall to cover the basics and dig into a few things of note. Here we go. Taurus's glyph is the head and horns of the bull, signifying strength and determination. Its natural house is the second house, its quality is fixed, its element is earth, and its polarity is negative. As for the planets, the ruler of Taurus is Venus, The moon is in exaltation in Taurus, Uranus is in its fall, and Mars and Pluto are in their detriment. A few key words for Taurus are endurance, materialism, steadfastness, productivity, practicality, thoroughness, security, sensuality, stubbornness, possessiveness, routine, patient, slow, hedonistic, and self-indulgent. A Taurus personality loves routine and security, and this means they can often get stuck in a rut if they are not careful. However, this also means they are extremely reliable and have great loyalty and devotion to duty. They are also tenacious. They'll attend to even the most mundane of tasks with diligence and patience. Sow that field, Mr. Bull. Some might see Taurus as conformist, and, well, this can be true, but they also are a lover of indulging their senses, enjoying music and the arts and the good things in life. Some will think that Torians are dim-witted because of the slowness of their thoughts, but it might be more accurate to say that they think deliberately and carefully and will often arrive at practical and creative solutions that those of us with sun signs in more speedy archetypes might not discover. Yes, I'm thinking of you, Gemini, but hold your horses We'll get to you guys next month. On the downside, Taurus can have difficulties seeing the world from anyone's perspective but its own, which can lead to intolerance. Emotionally, Taurians have an overwhelming need for security, and this can translate into possessiveness and jealousy. On the exterior, they can seem calm, but be careful of the bull, for a furious temper can erupt if their sense of ownership is threatened. And one of the main issues is, while this temper may be slow to erupt, once the volcano explodes, it tends to erupt for a long, long while. Taurians need to be mindful, then, not to let resentment ruin their lives and the lives of those around them. Speaking of resentment, if you break apart that word, you can see it is a sentiment, or a feeling, being experienced over and over. Usually, resentment relates to negative feelings, and those are kept inside of us where no one can see them, where even we may be unaware of their dangerous nature until they have built up into a distilled ball of batshit crazy that we then unleash on the world. Look out below. Meanwhile, as you hold on to your grudges, 
you'll find it impossible to forgive, and, well, that's just no way to live, dear Taurus. O Taurians, don't hate me. Part of the goal of this podcast is to cover both sides of the archetype, because we're not going to grow if we only live in love and light, and deny that light casts a shadow that we must examine. And sure, Taurus, your season is glorious, at least in the northern hemisphere, falling in mid-spring. So it can be tempting to ignore that life has its dark side, and that you do too. But let's not dwell there too long, for Taurus has some kick-ass strengths, such as its tremendous resilience and integrity. You've got common sense in abundance, so you're good at planning and organization, and you keep at a task with your earthly creativity and artistic ability. Now, I don't often read these parts of the Astrology Bible, but as a parent of a Taurus child, my soon-to-be 17-year-old son Oliver, I've just gleaned something that I've definitely come to appreciate, which is that if you do happen to parent a Taurian, gentle encouragement is the ticket, because, as Judy Hall writes, quote, head-to-head confrontation is best avoided, as it usually leads to a temper tantrum or obstinate refusal to move, unquote. As astrologer Rick Levine said, if a Taurus is laying on the couch, you know, eating the sandwich and watching TV, you are not going to get them to mow the lawn or to wash the dishes. The Taurus is doing what it's doing. On a 2020 episode of the Astrology Podcast, he said that Taurians are the hardest sign to wake up. Boy, is that the truth. My son's alarm can be loud enough to wake a hippo and he'll keep on sleeping. Fun fact, folks. Hippos sleep 16 to 20 hours a day. Anyway, let's finish up from the Astrology Bible before we dig into a few nuggets from my teacher, Kai Pacha, and a bit more from Rick Levine. Here are some traditional correspondences for Taurus. Its day is Friday. Number is 6. Physiology is the neck, throat, thyroid gland, vocal cord, and ears. Its birthstone is the emerald. It has tons of crystals, including diamonds, topaz, malachite, rose cord, and sapphire. Its metal is copper. Its associations are nature, singing, wealth, and possessions. Its colors are green, pink, pale blue, and white with lemon. (laughs) Ain't that a bit specific? Animals are cows and elephants. Its foods are apples, spinach, wheat, and other cereals, grapes, among others, Its herbs are sage, thyme, mint, licorice, and many others. Its trees are the fig, almond, plum, ash, and, again, many others. Its plants are roses, poppies, daisies, dandelions, lily of the valley, and, again, others. And its places are Cyprus, the Greek Isles, Turkey, Ireland, especially Dublin, Iran, Italy, North America, especially St. Louis, luxury hotels, stables, and, well, anywhere comfortable and luxurious with excellent food. Just a note in case you didn't figure it out, I don't read everything in the book from those lists, partly because they can get rather extensive, and it sure does seem that Taurus is a lot of stuff on its page. Okay, on to some key points from Kaipacha. Kaipacha likes to connect the quality of the fixed signs into the Hindi notion of Vishnu, which sustains, endures, perseveres, upholds, and gets things together. He said, if Aries is the hunter, Taurus is the feast. Again, Taurus is sensual. It is the five senses. And this is one reason Taurus is ruled by Venus, 
who appreciates the beauty and sensuality of physical reality. Taurus will slow down to smell the roses, and why the fuck not? If you don't appreciate the earth in mid-spring, with all of its budding flowers scenting the air and delighting the eyes, you're probably never going to appreciate it, right? Because this is such an abundant time of year, Taurus believes it can be self-sufficient. It can find its own resources, develop them, and become successful. Taurus is going to get down in the earth and get its hands dirty, and while this is admirable, it can also mean Taurus can get stuck there, becoming unmovable and stubborn. As a lover of sensuality in the physical, Taurus can risk becoming the kind of lover who only views sex as a physical thing. It can get lost in the material world, possessive about my resources, my body, my money, my relationships. These are mine and I'll do what I want with them. Kaipacha says, quote, I think of Taurus as the castle. It's like the center of the kingdom where things are happening, things are held and protected. The danger of Taurus is closing the gate to the castle, unquote. If it closes the gate completely, it becomes a castle under siege that runs out of supplies, and then it self-destructs due to its lack of interacting with the world around it. So Taurus, sure, absolutely, build that castle, but be sure to drop down the gate and let in some change, some renewal. In astrology, we always look to the opposite sign, the polarity, to balance things out. And for Taurus, that is Scorpio. Scorpio is all about transformation, and the kind of transformation that comes from mingling with other, being more than just yourself, being a part of this world that we all exist in. One invitation from the Taurus archetype to all of us is that the way to do this is to get out into nature and to luxuriate in the physical world. Smell those flowers, feel that lovely spring breeze, appreciate the increasing warmth of the sun, and smile as you realize that the earth is becoming abundant again. In this sense, Taurus is the Garden of Eden, where Venus is relaxing on a lush hillside, overlooking a beautiful stream trickling over a small waterfall into a pond, munching on an apple as she does so. Just appreciating the simple life for a little while is the Taurian way, but we can't stay there forever. And when Taurus is rejuvenated, we may as well begin to build something of value that will last. As Rick Levine said, quote, Taurus is the person that says, if you take care of the senses, then everything else will fall into place. Give me nice sheets, good food, good music to listen to. If all of the senses are fulfilled, the Taurus will be happy. Remember the story of Ferdinand the Bull? All he wanted to do was hang out in the summer field, eating the flowers, soaking in the sun. He didn't want to be angry. Unquote. Thus, if we consider this in our lives, if we attend to our basic material needs, if we take care of our diet, if we get our sleep, get outside, do some exercise, take showers and baths, how much better do we feel mentally? Taurus is the reminder not to forget these things. We are animals coexisting with Mother Earth. Don't let the transhumanists tell you otherwise. Okay, that's the gist of the Taurus archetype. I hope that I've given you enough to understand and work with it. Thanks for listening to this segment. Next up, we're going to enjoy the first of our tunes for this episode.
So here I sit in a beautiful field and yes, I have to record at least a little bit of a rambler while outside during porous, uh, <laughs> porous season, porous Taurus season, Taurus season, because it's the time of year to get back outside, isn't, is it not? Uh, I was hoping to record the reading of an essay by Charles Eisenstein, but my phone does not cooperate all the time with me. Uh, recording while using another app. So that's what happened. Anyway, um, what shall I talk about here? Yes, the nodes of the moon. <laughs> the topic of the nodes of the moon. Uh, anybody who has dug into especially evolutionary astrology, uh, even a little bit, is going to know how important the nodes of the moon are to astrology. And, well, as of January 2022, the nodes of the moon, the north node, moved into Taurus, and the south node, which is always at its opposite, moved into Scorpio. And the north node is where we're evolutionarily supposed to be heading, where we should be focusing our energies and our efforts, which means from January 2022 until... July 2023, when the nodes will shift, we should be doing our most to consciously ponder and embody and live out uh, the archetype of Taurus in our lives. And so this is an important podcast to really think about. And I say it's important based on my own direct experience of learning about the nodes of the moon and applying it to myself. And this being probably one of the most useful astrological lessons I got and probably if I was to point to one thing that really has led me to quote-unquote believe in astrology at least as far as how it can be useful to my life it would be this thing I learned which is about what I just said the nodes of the moon the north node being where we should focus our attention and the south node is the karma it's the thing that's it's kind of the comfort zone but it's where we should be trying to move out of, uh, work through. And so, uh, two years ago, in April of 2020, 2020, I almost said 2022, in April of 2020, I heard from Eugenia Kroc of Accessible Astrology about the shift, upcoming shift of the nodes of the moon. And at that time, they were shifting from the north node of Cancer into Gemini and the south node Capricorn into Sagittarius. Which means, just to reiterate that, to make that a little more clear, from May of 2020 until January of 2022, the North Node was in Gemini and the South Node was in Sagittarius. And what Eugenia said was, this means for these next 18 months, it is vitally important that we embody Gemini, that we ask questions, that we have curiosity, that we don't do what is the shadow of Sagittarius, which is to be self-righteous and to be a know-it-all and to be, I have the truth, I am the truth, listen to me. And, well, I think that little summary I just gave, if any of you remember, which you probably do because it was only the last two years, what May of 2020 until earlier this year has been like, um, you know there was a lot of self-righteousness and a lot of I am the truth, <laughs> I am the science, <laughs> right? Um, and a lot of that was bullshit. 
Um, and I can say for me that keeping an open mind and asking questions and not getting caught up in that kind of I know it all was extremely useful to me. And just having that in the back of my mind during that 18 month period, because there were indeed times where I did get self-righteous. Uh, nobody's perfect. And there were times where I thought I knew everything or I, I, I had some truth that I wanted to share. But just knowing um, this is kind of a caution, like, OK, be careful about that, I think really helped me uh, manage things and also helped me in terms of who to pay attention to, you know, like people who were a little bit too over the top in their righteousness were people who I kind of gave myself a little bit of a, a, a distance from, even if I found myself somewhat agreeing with them. Uh, I tried to listen to those who were more in the questioning mode. Because if you remember back to the start of the pandemic, um, none of us really knew what it was. We, a lot of us had intuitions, and um, but none of us really knew. And so those who were immediately convinced they were correct about things, well, those are the kind of people that I generally just didn't give much listening to. Anyway, so now let's uh, move out of the past and go into the present, into Taurus season. So Taurus, uh, we've already talked about the archetype and what it means. So I don't want to reiterate all that, but um, I'll just say a few things. It's doing what I'm doing right now. Get out and ground yourself and uh, really become embodied. Um, really become in touch with your senses and listening to your body and becoming self-reliant in that way. Uh, trusting in your body and connecting to the earth and having gratitude for the earth, um, inviting abundance into your life, recognizing that abundance is all around us and lack is something that we often create. Our economy itself is built on this system of lack and debt. And the reality is we live on a bountiful, abundant, vibrant, alive planet and so having gratitude for that and becoming in communion with that, I think those are things that we can really invite into our lives during this period. And I'm going to share some, well, some media. I don't want to say yet because I haven't decided how much to share, but um, some media article or articles about the situation, the economy, um, I think there's a lot that is probably going to happen between now and next summer relating to our food systems and the economic system going through some rather massive changes. And, you know, you don't really need to follow astrology to know that those things are on the horizon. We're hearing it from world leaders. We're hearing it from the Bidens of the world who... <laughs> Uh, he's not really someone who's in touch with reality in a lot of ways, but obviously the guy has people speaking in his ear and he is the leader of the quote-unquote free world. So when he says uh, food shortages, um, well, that's probably something we should pay attention to. But it's not just him. I mean, 
if you're paying attention to some of the things happening in the news, there's some interesting kind of scary things going on with uh, a lot of food supply, food warehouses and such um, going up into flames. And I will recommend that if you want to learn more about that to check out the Ice Age Farmer, uh, the Ice Age Farmer podcast. And I think he's on YouTube as well. He's also on, he's got a channel on Telegram. Uh, I'll put one of the links for him. Uh, but he's been talking about that a lot. And he also has been talking about uh, this apparent so-called uh, bird flu. Um, they're killing, I don't know, millions of birds, chickens, saying that they have this virus and they're using the same faulty PCR tests that, well, have been used throughout the COVID era. And they're telling people they can't raise their chickens locally and a lot of people uh, are talking about how there seems to be a man manipulated crisis coming our way in terms of our food supply and trying to move us into a world where we have to be reliant on the system and we have to eat uh, food that the system provides us. And Taurus season is saying no. And so he advises... Uh, I feel like a hypocrite if I advise this because I'm not doing this and haven't started yet, but he advises and many advises, Pam Gregory, astrologer Pam Gregory advises this, but uh, begin to grow your own food. And Pam talks about microgreens, and that's something I think I'm going to look into. Uh, partly I'm just kind of, yeah. There, there is a part of me, and I will say this, this is one of my shadows that I hear a lot of this stuff, but I don't necessarily act upon it. Um, I get complacent, and that's probably my south node in Cancer, um, which is can be, you know, uh, the shadow of Cancer can be kind of, you know, Cancer is right in the middle of summer, and it's about security, and uh, it can be kind of a lazy, um, hermit-like kind of, well, everything's cozy and comfortable, and that definitely is one of my shadows. Uh, so... Anyway, that is uh, something I think we should all be pondering, though, is how we can become more self-sufficient. And this also relates to money, um, learning about cryptocurrency. Another thing which, well, I'll be, I want to speak about that real quick from my own perspective. Of course, it's from my own perspective. Why did I say that? Um, here, let me take a sip of water here. But I, ha I have some distrust of uh, money that's based on computers. And, uh, you know, I know... Well, there's more I want to learn about it, but I've made several avenues in the learning about Bitcoin and cryptocurrencies. And yeah, it's just something that hasn't called to me like you need to get invested in this. And but I, having said that, I am very concerned about, um, well, the money system right now. It's, ba it's basically a big it's a fraud in a lot of ways. And so I think central digital bank central bank digital currencies cbdc's is something that is really um we're going to be hearing more about and the article that i hope to read by charles eisenstein is on that topic uh if i don't read it i will put it out as a separate podcast in the next week or so uh, but if i don't read it it's only because it was too long to fit onto this episode um it got left on the editing room floor but yeah uh i'm concerned about if they were to use 
cryptocurrencies or you know this technology to enslave us rather than free it than to than to free us um that's the danger but anyway there's a lot more to be learned there and a lot of stuff i still don't know about and quite honestly some of these topics i'm speaking about here are just like the whole topic of money and self-sufficiency is just not a topic i'm really that well versed in um and so this is the time to do it, Brian. <laughs> you got to walk your walk, you know. So I'm trying to get more involved in uh, learning about these things and then starting to do them. But um, yeah. Okay, I'm going to leave this here. I don't want to go on too long. But uh, oh, I should also add this that the other aspect of the North Nodes or the Nodes of the Moon is when uh, whatever axis they're in, so they're in the Taurus Scorpio axis during those seasons, so during mid spring and mid fall right now. That's when we'll be having our eclipses. So coming up this weekend, we've got the first, well, I think there was one last November, actually, which was like the most, I don't know exactly, I remember hearing people saying that, but the nodes weren't there yet, but there was, there was an eclipse last November. I think it was like, like November 19th. Anyway, it was right, at, I don't know, but um, I'm going to probably edit all this out, but <laughs> uh, yeah point being that the first main one that's really in the in the axis is coming up this weekend um, we have a solar eclipse and eclipse seasons can be very intense and powerful and transformative and the other thing i didn't bring up and one of the reasons why i think a lot of us who are into astrology and know about what's going on are concerned about um major changes happening and maybe rather quickly is the fact that uranus is right in the middle of all this in the middle of taurus and it's, uh, yeah, going to be conjunct the nodes in the summer. And uh, it's kind of reasonably close even right now for the eclipse coming up. So um, it's going to be an intense, I think, I think between now and probably Scorpio season, November, uh, we could see some pretty major changes. Um, and, well, hold on to your seatbelts. <laughs> That's not the phrase, is it? Um Put on your seatbelts, I guess. Hold on to your horses. Hold on to your reins. But, you know, again, do what you need to do to ground yourself. And one of the things I would recommend is to not be so involved in taking in the daily news. I, I really, this is probably the, I would say in my life, the least I've been in tune with what's going on in the daily news in a long time. Um I do kind of check headlines and things, but I'm really not that interested right now because a lot of it is nonsense. And a lot of it is not only nonsense, it's meant to elicit emotional reactions out of us that are not healthy. So why would I do that to myself? Um, but I do pay, you know, I am listening to my podcasts and things that cover news and stuff. But in general, a lot of this stuff, like the whole war in Ukraine, it's a whole big tragedy. But do you need to know about it? Do you have any control over it? Um you don't. And so we can send our hearts out to them and pray for the people of Ukraine. Um, but really a lot of it is kind of an emotional manipulation and, um, yeah, we don't need to do that. So, okay. I will leave this here.
following is written by Monica Harris on February 27th and updated on March 3rd. And I would originally intended to read her more recent articles about the economy and money. But I found this one and think this one actually covers what I wanted to get to even more than her more recent articles. But I will link this one in the show notes and recommend that you go to her blog, letsgetunplugged.com, and read her uh, recent articles too, because she's really focusing in on the economy and money, where we may be going. Okay, here is the article. The Real Reason Why We're Moving to a Cashless Economy by Monica Harris. Leaders who deprive citizens of access to their money want absolute control. Don't give it to them. The Canadian Freedom Convoy has ended, but what happened in its final days has left an indelible scar on what's left of Western liberal democracy. America's neighbor to the north passed a point from which civilized societies rarely return. In his final gambit to crush protesters, Prime Minister Justin Trudeau took the unprecedented step of invoking the Emergencies Act. It was a move that empowered him to freeze bank accounts of protesters and their supporters many who made donations as small as $50, cancel their credit cards, and seize cryptocurrency wallets. They were left with no money to buy food, no money to pay rent, no money for gas. In the blink of an eye, they became non-persons. Ottawa police have even vowed to spend months hunting down supporters to bring them to, quote, justice. These people weren't plotting a revolution, they blocked streets and borders because they didn't want to be compelled to wear masks, as countries around the world were busy lifting restrictions. They objected to vaccine mandates that put needless pressure on supply chains that were already strained. They refused to surrender their right to live normal lives while Omicron, 
the mildest COVID variant yet, was gifting millions with natural immunity. And for this, Trudeau declared financial war on essential workers and those who supported them. His response, ripped from the pages of The Handmaid's Tale, clearly had nothing to do with public health. Shaking a democracy to its core in response to the reasonable demands of citizens is nothing short of madness. Unless, of course, there's an undisclosed method to Trudeau's madness. And I think I know what it is. I think Canada is a preview of what we can expect from Western governments when they flex their muscles during the next, quote, emergency, unquote. Because in all likelihood, what happened in Canada will not stay in Canada. What happened was a bone-chilling warning to anyone who flirts with the idea of protesting COVID restrictions in the future, whatever form they take, or anything else democratic governments do, whether it makes sense or not. If you resist, we will destroy you. Since the pandemic erupted in 2020, economies have imploded, supply chains have broken, and the wealth divide has gone exponential. We've lost lives to addiction, depression, and suicide. Society is slowly collapsing on almost every level. And it's all happened as a result of our attempt to defeat a virus that's mild in 99.95% of people it infects. Governments worldwide have finally unmasked themselves and revealed their true nature. They pretend to look out for our best interests, but they don't care about the well-being of the vast majority. The only thing they care about is power and control. And we've been too busy trying to survive to notice how much power and control they've acquired during the pandemic. We've looked the other way, while leaders of democratic nations fashion themselves into autocrats, placing entire populations under rotating lockdowns and denying them of civil liberties in exchange for complying with mandates based on ever-shifting and contradictory science. But it didn't stop there. They enlisted the medical and scientific communities and other trusted institutions to put guardrails on narratives. They partnered with legacy media and fact-checking organizations funded by deep pockets to combat vaccine misinformation. They used big tech to silence opinions, even from credentialed experts, that go against the government narrative. Governments have taken unprecedented measures to not only control what we hear and think, but to even control what we can say. None of this should be happening in a free society, but it is, because power-hungry leaders have convinced fearful people that bad citizens don't deserve civil liberties. What fearful people don't understand is that by waging war against bad citizens, governments have acquired unprecedented control over everyone. And they position themselves to dramatically increase that control by targeting what we all need more than anything else, money. For decades, we've been moving from a financial system based on physical money to one that's cashless. It's a transition that's ostensibly been made for convenience, but I think it also serves another purpose. A cashless system allows us to purchase whatever we want, whenever we want, with the swipe of a card. Yet this convenience comes with a hitch. If we lose access to our bank account for any reason, we're screwed. Armed with cash, however, we have options. We can still buy food or gas. We can pay for health care and medicine if we get sick. We can even stash enough money for one month's rent. But we've become so dependent on plastic that virtually no one carries cash anymore. Check your wallet now. How much do you have? We're completely vulnerable. What happened in Canada was a wake-up call. 
When our financial existence is completely dependent on digits in the cloud, our money is just one government emergency away from being taken from us. A cashless system places our survival entirely at the mercy of those in charge, even if they decide to stop listening to us. Want to know what this might look like? China, the training ground for former Western democracies, is giving us a glimpse. It's almost completely cashless now, which has allowed the government to adopt an Orwellian social credit system. Banking privileges are used to punish and reward citizens based on whether their behavior is socially responsible. Do you give blood? Good citizen. Do you quarrel with neighbors? Bad citizen. Some people aren't bothered by this possibility. I have intelligent friends who discount the prospect of a looming social credit system because they can't imagine it would ever impact them. I'm not worried about my government doing that to me. I'm not a bad person. Your government may not think you're a bad person today, but how will it feel about you tomorrow? What if the parameters of acceptable protest change? Could your government cancel you financially for speaking out against unlawful state surveillance if it determines your position threatens national security? Could posting misinformation on social media be grounds for losing banking privileges? When judging whether state action is appropriate or justified, we shouldn't just consider how things are playing out when the people we agree with are in charge. We need to think about how they might play out when our team is not in power. Anyone who isn't troubled by what happened to Canadian truckers and their supporters needs to ask themselves this question. If Donald Trump had taken the same action against BLM protesters when cities burned and businesses were looted, how would you feel? I believe we are in the final stages of a silent war that governments and global elites who pull their strings have waged against humanity for longer than any of us have been alive. The greatest threat we've always faced in this war, regardless of our race, gender, or political stripe, is the predatory financial system. Elites have used it to impoverish most of us in the Western world, and it's becoming apparent that they intend to use it to subjugate every human on the planet. Anyone paying attention knows that the financial system is coming down at some point in the not-so-distant future. The Great Reset that was once considered a wacky conspiracy theory seems to be on the verge of becoming a reality. Of course, the system can't be reset until it collapses, but events that could easily take us there are already in motion. As the war in Ukraine heats up and the White House mulls a potential cyber attack on Russia, the possibility of waking up one morning and finding out our debit cards don't work is no longer something reasonable people can discount. Please understand that my intent isn't to frighten you, but to help you understand what we're all facing. Because we can't win this war if we don't know what we're up against. The next step is to figure out what we can do to empower ourselves. Finding the courage to resist the accelerating tyranny will be critical. We can't be afraid to speak out or take unpopular positions. We must resist the impulse to act, with regard to our body or otherwise, out of fear or intimidation. If we're going to win this war, we need to start getting comfortable with the idea of being uncomfortable. Now, here's the good news. The longer we resist, the heavier the hand of tyranny becomes. And the heavier the hand becomes, the faster people, on the left and the right, will wake up and recognize our common enemy. Time will bring much-needed unity. Elites have been winning this war because 95% of us were asleep, divided, and distracted and had no idea there was a war going on. 
But every day, more are awakening. And they're not just awake, they're ready to fight. They understand what's at stake and realize they've got nothing to lose by pushing back against the certainty of living in countries that are rapidly becoming police states. I think the people who are trying to control us know this. They may be equipped to take on a fringe 10 to 20 percent, but if 50 to 60 percent of humanity wakes up, they can't win this battle. I think they are in a desperate race to beat this awakening. In any war, it's vital to find a way to use an enemy's power against them. Money is the most powerful weapon of elites, but it's also their greatest weakness. Why? Because the financial system requires our participation, and we all need to start using this weakness to our advantage. Below are steps each of us can take to not only protect ourselves from what's coming, but to also become less dependent on the system and better positioned to rebuild it, on our terms, when it fails. 1. Start relying more on cash and less on debit and credit cards. 2. Don't leave all of your money in the bank. If you have discretionary money or savings, start removing it in small increments of $500 or less. 3. Try to keep enough cash, in a safe place, for food and gas for at least a few weeks and rent or mortgage for a month. Encourage friends and family to do the same. 4. Develop a network of people who can pool their resources and rely on each other if any of you lose bank access. 5. Start buying small amounts of gold or silver. It's more valuable than cash and accepted all over the world. 6. Barter with friends and neighbors whenever possible. Think about what skills you have to offer and find people with complementary skills. If you're a nurse, get to know a carpenter. If you grow veggies, make friends with someone who knows how to fix cars. 7. Keep real things on hand to barter with. Tools, seeds, automotive parts, clothes, etc. 8. Become as food self-sufficient as possible. Start a garden. Even if you're in a city, get a small coop and buy a couple of chickens. They pay dividends. 9. Gas could be unaffordable soon. Get comfortable walking, biking, or scooting. If you're in cold weather, start weaning yourself off solo trips and consider ride-sharing. 10. Keep plenty of bottled water on hand. When supply chains break next time, liquid gold, not toilet paper, may be one of the first items to disappear from shelves. 11. Use social media to get the word out. Can we get hashtag cash is king trending? Most of us won't be lucky enough to escape what's coming, as a privileged few attempt to use the financial system to complete their takeover of humanity. Standing alone, we're no match against these people. But if we're wide awake, prepared, and willing to lock arms with others and fight with everything we've got, we will be invincible. And we will have a say in what comes next. Be strong. Don't give up. We will win. Watch me! Watch me! I got it! Watch me! I got it! I got something that makes me want to shout I got something that tells me what it's all about <laughs> I got soul and I'm super bad I got soul <laughs> and I'm super bad <laughs> Now I got a move that tells me what to do Sometimes I tell 
folks. It's 11.06 a.m. here on Monday, April 25th, 2022. I'm in Gumonomori uh, in the gazebo, and I'm going to zap the trucker here and see what he has to say for himself. Here we go. Okay, that was weird. Weren't you supposed to email me about something or give me some kind of a message? Well, yeah. Hey, uh, Jock, how you doing? Well, I was 
doing all right, but kind of thought you were going to give me a bit of a heads up before you zap me. And by the way, where the hell are we anyway? Um, we are in Guma no Mori. Okay. Now, I thought these were usually done by a river. I don't... There's no river around here, is there? Well, there's some rivers, but... Um, no, we're not next to the river for this one, Jacques, but um, we got to get on with it here. I've got stuff to do today, as do I, which is a problem. Um, well, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you, but, you know, uh, podcast comes first. Lots of listeners waiting on this one. Is that the case? Um, yeah, I mean, what were you, you, were you driving right now? No, I was just sitting on my couch eating some potato chips in Anywheresville, USA. Oh, yeah, okay, great, great. That brings me uh, to my first question, then. So... I had you listed in my uh, fancy Rolodex here under Canadian Truckers, yet you tell me you live in Anywheresville, USA. Uh, what gives? Uh, I never said I was from Anywheresville. I just live there now. When I'm not on the road, that is. We, we, you know, me and a coop of 32 chickens and a couple of ducks on the side. 32 chickens? Ah, let me guess. Some of those came from the godfather of grunge, right? Uh, Neil Young? Well... I mean, not directly. I mean, well, here's the thing. I heard him saying that thing, you know, about the vaccine, and, well, I decided with the way things are heading, being able to produce chickens with my eyes might be some kind of a superpower worth getting. So I went out and I got septuple vaxxed in one sitting. Next thing I knew, I was shitting chickens. Old Neil don't lie. Shitting them? Wow, that's exceptional. Have you uh, contacted Pfizer or Moderna or whoever you got your vaccine from to let them know of these <laughs> amazing results? Nah, fuck them. They've got enough media mouthpieces without me adding my voice to the mix. Besides, I got enough on my hands trying to manage 32 chicken when I'm on the road. So how do you manage? Well, that's where the ducks come in. If you ever need good middle managers, you can't go wrong with ducks. <laughs> wow, I'm learning a lot from you today, Jock. Sure enough. And that brings me to something else. What can I do you for? Your name. What about it? Well, there's some confusion around it. Uh, my friend who is a regular listener to this podcast told me he thought it was spelled Jacques. You know, like the French spell it. You know, J-A-C-Q-U-E-S. But then I uh, remember you weren't too pleased with the French during the Iraq War, so I have to think it's not really that spelling of Jock, but rather Jock, J-O-C-K, like I had thought it was. So tell me, Jock, who's got the right of it? Neither of you do. Here's how it's spelled. D-J-O-Q-S-K. But the D and the S are silent. Silent? Well, that's interesting. I've never heard of a spelling like that before. I've never even heard of a silent S before. What about psychology? S is silent there. Uh, no, the P is silent, if I'm not mistaken. Oh, fuck. Neil warned me about you. What does that mean? That you're an MP. Oh, okay, refresh the listener's memory. What's an MP again? A miscreant poop head. You can't trust him. That's what he told me. Somehow I seem to remember MP stood for something else. But we're steering way too far afield here, bouncing around as though this were the Gemini season podcast. But what we're doing here is we're trying to bring things down to earth, because this is the Taurus season podcast. What do you need me for to talk about astrology? I'm just a regular old trucker, trying to deliver my loads on time and not let my chickens spawn and get away from me. Well, what's more salt of the earth than a truck driver who births chickens out of his ass? I don't know. Let me think here. 
How about a steel man who can unscrew light bulbs with his willy? <laughs> well, I don't have any of those guys listed in my Rolodex. Need to expand it then, I guess. <laughs> well, I think those guys might be kind of hard to come by. Anyway, um, no, the thing is, we've got the north node of the moon in Taurus until July 2023. And that means one of the ways we can evolve right now is to work on becoming self-sufficient. You know, breaking free of our codependency on the system. But you truckers are facing a real challenge in this regard in the coming years. How so? Well, let me ask you this. What do you think of truckers being replaced by robots? You know, like driverless cars, like driverless trucks? I mean, are truckers a dying breed? Hmm. Well, I met this guy on the road. Goes by the name of Truckman. Scott Truckman. And uh, in his family, trucking's gone back several hundred years to the 13th century. So I don't think you're going to kill us so easily. Well, I'm not saying we want to kill you. I'm just saying, like, um, you know, you guys might lose a jog. Jog? I meant to say job. My, I, my, I don't know. My, my, you know, sometimes I slip up. Well, what? Anyway, but well, it's a fair point you raise, but I still do debate the whole 1300s truckers thing. Well, that's what he told me, and he tells it to everybody, so I'm not going to doubt him, especially with a name like Truckman. Good point. Um, but anyway, if these robots do replace you all, I mean, okay, let me ask you this. How many robots do you think will crash while listening to Dark Star? Probably all of them, I reckon. I mean, um, I, I think Dark Star might be kind of like kryptonite for robots, you know? Like, Dark Star is kind of like tripping balls around the pinball machine of the solar system. I don't think any simple-minded machine, some driverless robot's going to be able to handle that much magic in one sitting. Wow, that was rather poetic, Jock. Um, do you believe in magic? Why wouldn't I? Well, I mean, you're, you salt-of-the-earth types often dismiss such things as woo-woo. Ah, oh, man, that's more liberal media brainwashing you bought into. After all... Who are the folks regularly getting zapped up by the greys for their experiments in crossbreeding? Uh, I'm not sure who. Folks who live in trailer parks, that's who. And let me tell you, plenty of truckers live in those parks. It's a rule of the road. Wait, it's a rule that truckers gotta live in trailer parks? Uh, never mind, I was making a cultural reference. Uh, just, just never mind. Anyway, didn't I tell you about my Aunt Alberta? Your aunt? Lives in Alberta? No, man, she lives in Manitoba. Wait a minute. <laughs> you have an aunt named Alberta who lives in Manitoba. Yep, she's married to my uncle Ottawa. What can I say? Family's full of geography buffs. Which explains the name Jock. It does? Uh, no, it, <laughs> I guess it doesn't. Anyway, where are you going with this? Well, I'm pretty sure I told you this before, but Alberta and Ottawa were driving through Manitoba when they got sucked up into a UFO, the SS Nova Scotia. <laughs> Jesus. Okay, man, now you're pulling my leg. <laughs> okay, only about the name. The rest of it was true. It is true. I mean, so you don't need to tell me I'm going to have any trouble believing in magic. Besides, we truckers see all sorts of weird things when we're out roaming the roads. Okay, like what? Well, first, dogs without tails. Birds that speak Cantonese. Men with rabbit ears, uh, sandals uh, that fly through the air. That's just for starters. I could probably think of some more. <sighs> I don't think you need to go any further. Um, yep, well, anyway, I mean, your government's been up to all sorts of tomfoolery, crossbreeding shit with them greys. I mean, that's my theory. 
and I'm sticking to it. Haha, <laughs> and that befits a Torian. By the way, how did you know I was a Torian? My fancy Rolodex, don't you remember? Uh, fair enough, man. Look, I, I kind of want to get back and see how that ball game turned out. Are we done here yet? Uh, yeah, I think so. I don't think I have anything really particular left that I wanted to talk to you about. I think we've hit all the highlights. Uh, just be careful these next couple weeks, okay? Uh, what's that? Eclipse season, man. And Uranus is going to be in on the action, too. It's just about forming a conjunction with the sun and the moon this weekend and the solar eclipse. We may be in for some surprises. You might want to lay off those vaccines. Oh, yeah, don't worry about that. I ain't getting any more of them boosters. I got enough chickens already. In fact, uh, you want some? Um, no, maybe next time. Uh, next time? Well, that's right. Neil said after his seventh, he was able to zap himself here and out of here anytime he wants. Let's see. Oh, wait, Chuck, I re wait, I remembered. Whoop! Shit. I wanted to ask him something else. Jock, you there? Yeah, he's gone. I mean, I can't see him, folks, but I heard the noise. Um, I was going to ask him about... So my Rolodex, I have him... Obviously, the name was spelled wrong, and maybe the last name is wrong, too, but I have him listed here as Jock Jones, which is really interesting, because I swear I've heard that name before. Oh, my God, it! Jock Jones. He was, like, a star baseball player at USC when I was there. Yeah, I think he went on to play baseball in the majors. I think for the Twins, maybe? He's an outfielder? Anyway, yeah, Jock Jones. Maybe that's why I wrote it down, like, and spelled But wait, why did I spell it J-O-C-K? That Jock was the French spelling. I don't know. It's all confusing in my mind. But, okay, anyway, he was the thing I was going to ask him about and, like, lead into is that, yeah, he was born, this Jock Jones, according to my Rolodex, was on uh, May 19th. Uh, and, well, we're going to end today's show celebrating my other favorite Torian, my friend Dan Jones, who was born on May 20th. And we're going to celebrate it by listening to the song Mr. Jones by the Talking Heads, because David Byrne was born on, I think it was May 16th, around there. Anyway, he is also a Torian, as is Brian Eno, who David Byrne worked with, as is Bono, who Brian Eno worked with, the connections folk. They get pretty crazy sometimes. All right, we're getting a little bit too Gemini here again, but this is the thing. I wanted to just bring this up. Dan Jones and this Jock Jones being born on the 19th, 20th, especially that 20th time. Like, Dan is known as what's called a cusper. Like, he's born right near the end of the sign and where it's the beginning of the sign. And, like, it depends on when you're born. Like, some years, like, you might be born on May 20th and actually the sun's already slipped into Gemini. I'm not, I'm not sure about this with Gemini, but, you know... And here, living in Japan as I do, a lot of times I'll listen to these podcasts and they'll be like, oh, uh, the moon moves and the sun moves into Taurus on the 19th of April. And I'm like, well, that's not true. It's going to be the 20th here in Japan. So they're called cuspers. And so they, uh, anyway, but people debate whether or not they, they have both energies or whatnot. Like you're in whatever you're in. But with my friend Dan, like I see him as pretty Taurus-like. He's very practical. He's kind of down to earth. Um, but he's kind of stubborn. He's got that downside to him too, but then he's also got the like Gemini wit about him. So I see both qualities in Dan and I see both qualities in, uh, David Byrne too, quite honestly, even though he's a little, you know, May 16th, he's more Taurus. But anyway, this song, Mr. Jones to me feels like a nice transition out of the kind of more heavy funk of, uh, James Brown and some of that soul from Stevie Wonder and that opening, uh, Alex Van Halen drum track from Intruder, Pretty Woman. 
and uh, kind of leads us into Gemini season. So we'll be back in a month, folks, with Gemini season podcast. Uh, there might be something in between then and now. Who knows? But I'll put it on as a bonus episode if I do. Otherwise, thanks for listening to this edition of the BNP Realm podcast, and happy Taurus season, everybody. Stay grounded. Yeah.